Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a great week wherever you're listening. This week we've published a new masterclass discussion in the form of a webinar replay on small-sided games in youth football. This is an almost 90-minute presentation from Dan Wright and myself on some of our favourite small-sided games, and it's underpinned by some background on constraints-led coaching and demonstrates a few examples of some lead-in practices and adaptations to the games that we present. On top of this, we answer a few of our uh, community questions live in the discussion from our webinar attendees, challenging us with some of their thoughts and ideas on what we present, so it made for good discussion. Look out for some more practical content in the form of a new live session coming up on the site, as well as a brand new blog contributor, all coming soon, so watch this space. On today's podcast, Dan and I tackle another community question, and it's a practical one around directional versus non-directional practices. The conversation sees us debate the pros and cons, and given the subjective nature of the topic, we'd love to hear from you with your thoughts. Feel free to message us via the PDP Facebook page or at PlayerDP on Twitter if you agree or disagree with some of the ideas in this conversation. I hope you enjoy the discussion and don't forget, as always, you can head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com and sign up to access our huge range of coaching content. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. As usual, I'm joined by PDP Technical Advisor and Academy Coach Dan Wright. Dan, how are you going this week? I'm very well, thank you. Really looking forward to this question. I think we're going to get into some good detail and maybe a heated discussion. So yeah, looking forward to this one. We'd love a bit of debate. We'll see how we go. Has everything been good up there on the training ground for you? Yeah, it's a it's a interesting time of the year. We're heading into kind of tournament season. So from a grassroots point of view, there's lots of kind of 5v5, 6v6, 7v7 tournaments popping up. And then um, we're starting to enter a few tournaments. So you're starting to see... Uh, boys maybe playing in different um, situations, different environments, maybe with some more pressure and just kind of opportunities for them to show the things that they've kind of learned throughout the season. So, yeah, from a social point of view, these tournaments are great. Get to spend lots of time with the kids. Mm. Uh, kids get to spend uh, time with each other and, and um, yeah, just kind of forging those really strong bonds, which are quite important. Yeah, certainly very exciting and uh, always great experiences, tournaments, and they, they usually throw up a few surprises as well. So good luck with that. Well, it will, we'll crack on with the question. It's a really interesting one. It's come in via the PDP Facebook page from Nikki, and he has said, should possession be directional? Now, this is one that can be quite an interesting discussion around you know, positional games and directional posi- uh, possession and, uh, and, and really you know, representative design and, and I guess talking about realism and these kind of things. So when I initially saw the question, Nicky added a bit of detail around the fact that he's working with a uh, young girls team and he used to do 6v6 uh, non-directional position to get them popping the ball around, said he had good success with the repeated practice. So Dan, what are your first thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's an interesting one because um, the simple question for me, should possession practices be directional, was was a difficult answer. I would say um, there are benefits to it being directional, but I could also name some benefits to it being non-directional. So <laughs> I think we're going to talk about, like you touched on kind of representative design, we're going to talk about that, the realism, the repetition and the relevance of our practice and maybe what the desired intention is and are we hitting that intention by it being directional or not directional? Um, I think you, before we started this chat, you talked about kind of sharing your experiences of going from 
um, possession could be anything, and now you would say most of your possession practices are directional. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I, look, I think I'm a big believer in positional games. I would argue that they tend to be directional, whilst I appreciate that they're not always, you know, a 4v1 or a 4v2, a smaller rondo may not be. I think the idea of um, working on height, width, and depth and ensuring that players are moving the ball in a realistic way in positional games, um, I think I do favour that. I do have a lot of memories of doing non-directional possession games. I can think of transition games where it might be three teams of four and one team is trying to press against, let's say it's 8v4, and then they win it off the blue team, the blue team then defend. So there's a transition element. And that would be, some would argue, a possession game. Um, obviously it's an overloaded possession, but it's not really directional in the sense we're going towards goals or we're going up and down. I think also I can reflect on my experience of going through the Youth Awards in the UK and I was lucky enough to be working with Jeff Noonan, who was at the FA, and he was observing and assessing me and, and gave some great feedback around realistic direction um, in terms of some of my practices. And some of the challenges were, you know, win the ball and put it into a goal. And I tried to twist things up and I was trying to perhaps overcomplicate things at times. And I think that was a great lesson for me in terms of my own coaching and just looking at, okay, there's two goals. It's an invasion game. We're going one into the other. And probably since then, I've gone a lot more directional and away from just you know, a box with 10 players, 5v5, trying to keep the ball. Um, because I think mm -hmm. whilst there is obviously pressure, which is real, there is obviously an opportunity to play a variety of passes and distances. Um, I think having a direction and, and that attacking, defending transition moment is much more real to the game. So probably lean towards keeping it directional more often than not. Um, so that's kind of where, where I'm starting. I think there is room for debate and discussion here. What are your thoughts around perhaps the benefits of non-directional and how often do you use it? Um, I think there can be some benefits to non-directional. I think um, if we were, let's try and give a specific example. So if we were looking to try and help a central midfielder receive the ball through 360 degrees, and you could do this through a directional possession, but one way to maybe get loads of repetition of receiving the ball on different angles and playing it in different directions, kind of playing through that 360 degrees, would be to put him in the middle of a practice that was non-directional. Um, if we just kind of take your example of it maybe being directional, maybe with some target goals or end zones to, to try and play in, he would probably get repetition of that. But unless you're playing with really high numbers, quite often his pictures would be forwards and backwards, so when to, to kind of set back and when to play forwards. And I think, you know, if we, we talk about kind of some of the best kind of holding players, whether you call them sixes or fours um, in the world, a lot of them would play through 360 degrees. So maybe that picture of receiving from a centre-back and playing out to a full-back or receiving from one-sided centre-back and playing out to the opposite side, full-back or winger, that could be quite hard to achieve through a possession practice. Mm. Um, so I suppose I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate and saying, <laughs> if everything is directional, um, are you going to get enough repetition? And then, <clears throat> again, it could, could come back to kind of the um, the abilities of the individuals. I think if, if I had younger players, you might just want to work on non-directional to talk about supporting positions all the mm. time, although they would be maybe a bit artificial in the sense that you might not penetrate an area or, or, or um, exploit a space. But if we're talking about Dave's got the ball. If you're on Dave's team, how are you going to support it? Yeah. Just moving your feet to come and get it. And, and you could do that in a directional practice, but again, the repetition of how many times you do that. So we're just envisaging the practice that the, the question's asking about. Mm. 6v6 with no kind of neutral players could be quite difficult. Mm. So the reason 
or one of the outcomes why the, the girls might be good at keeping the ball is because if one of them's got it, the other five are going to have to move to offer kind of supporting positions because they'll all be matched up. Could you do that directionally? Yeah. Will you get as much repetition, probably a pass and receiving the ball? Maybe not, because if we, again, we go back to kind of your example of using goals, mm. if the purpose is always to penetrate, then maybe there's more kind of um, value uh, and attunement to pass the ball forward and to score a goal rather than to keep the football and and and, uh, and to play. Yeah. So it might link in. I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head. It might link into moments of the game as well. Like it's what you see from transitioning from maybe five v five all the way through to eleven v eleven. At five v five, there isn't kind of passing chains of five, six, seven passes. Kids get the ball and they try and work it to the other end as quick as possible. Not unlike a Liverpool team, <laughs> but in, in a in an eleven v eleven. It's quite difficult to get the ball from the goalkeeper and get it to your number nine and stick it in the other team's goal. That's quite difficult. It doesn't happen very often. Mm. So are there moments where your midfield or back four will have to keep the ball for 15, 20 passes? Yeah, probably. How do you replicate that in a possession practice? That, that would be that would be the challenge. So mm. I think it comes back to what's the intention of the practice? What individuals are you trying to kind of help or affect? And then, you know, how much realism, repetition and relevance on the game do you want? If you want... Yeah loads of realism it would be directional for me if you want loads of repetition for individuals then you might make it slightly um artificial or slightly different to just a two goal game or a, or a, a directional game i've waffled on a bit there but there's yeah. probably the bits in there you have but it was all good waffles so super interesting <laughs> and uh and i think just to just to be clear for for those who maybe are just starting out as coaches directional doesn't necessarily mean it has to have goals it could just be that there is that clear direction of passing from an end to an end or a zone to a zone or a target player um look i, I think we've got a couple of passing practices on the live session um library where you know there isn't necessarily goals in play but what we've got is the intention of height, width, and depth, or potentially a focus on receiving shapes. And I think you bang on with your point around what is what is the outcome of the practice. I think that's where we have to start. Now, if your outcome with a group of uh, under 12 girls is, you know, that they're learning the game, they're learning how to pass and receive, they're learning about perhaps the principle of support, then maybe that non-directional practice has its value. But I think also... You can teach that within directional positional games in the 4v4 plus 3, for example. Obviously, it's 11 players. If you had 12, um, you know, like Nikki has suggested, it would be a 4v4 plus 4. You can talk about um, supporting either underneath the ball, if the ball's gone from the central target player, let's say at the bottom of the square, out to the right side of player, and they haven't received beyond. Maybe they've got to bounce it back, and the movement of that player is to support underneath. Then you're talking about players supporting in front of the ball or perhaps in between lines and in between players. Now, again, th these concepts can be as advanced as you like in terms of positional games and positional play. But with very young players who are learning the game, you can still teach those principles of height, width and depth and also receiving between lines. And, you know, on a recent masterclass discussion with Gabrielle Flores, who's over there at Fulham now, we both had the, the pleasure of working with Gabe's a great coach. We were talking about one of our former colleagues uh, referring to the idea of receiving on a clear line, or can you show um, show your teammate your feet? Just simple principles with young players and simple language, which when working on possession and understanding passing and receiving in an opposed setting, 
is really important. So those kind of concepts for me can come out in both, which I, I don't think answers the question. But again, similar to you, I'm sort of throwing throwing grenades out there a little bit and just sort of throwing ideas in the mix um, as to what, what can be the pros and cons. But I do like the positional games because of the appreciation of space. I think that's probably the summary of why I would favor those now. But again, in the past, I have done non-directional possession. Mm. And I think maybe what we're talking about is the best coaches find a way to relate that to the game. Absolutely. So if, if it's if it's players that have got quite a skill set and quite a high training age, then it might be easier to put on a practice that looks more like the game with um, younger players or less able players or players with a lower training age. You might have to make the practice simpler but find a way to, re to relate it back to, um, to what they know. So just when you were talking about kind of passing lines and showing your feet, um, I've watched a coach who works locally near um, where I live, who works with very young players, um, probably six and six and sevens. And what he talks about is stepping into the light. Mm -hmm. And he works in schools and he was observing a teacher talking about kind of uh, light and shadows. Stick with me here. Um, and the, the kids understanding that if you if you start, if you put something in front of the light, it makes a shadow. So he was talking about the ball being a beam of light. Yep. And if uh, you're in the way of me receiving the ball, then I'm stood in a shadow. Sure. Because the ball is this massive beam of light and it's shining out, but Dave's standing in the way, yep. so it makes a shadow. And then he was asking the players to step into the light. Yep. Which was a brilliant, like, because they've been doing it and it was kind of cross-curricular learning, I suppose they call it in a school, but really simple idea of where you stood at the moment, you're in a shadow and from a, like, a really kind of um, tactical analysis stuff that you see on Twitter, that would be like mm. a cover shadow. So it'd be the, the player standing in that line of the ball. And couldn't you just make two steps to the left and now you're stepping into the light to receive the ball? Yeah. Now, you go trying to stick to the question, you could do that directionally and non-directionally, but the principle of supporting the ball would be the same. Yeah. Now, what we're trying to do is show you an example of what it would look like for six and seven-year-olds. You probably you wouldn't use that language with an under-23 player. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's just, again, the, the skill of maybe the coach to relate the practice to, to what is the desired outcome but that language I suppose is and the language you shared from Gabe's is a, is a interesting way of how any practice should relate to the game and should be representative but maybe representative of what their game looks like so yeah. my example is for six and seven year olds Gabe's might be for kind of teenagers because passing lines make sense if you're 13 and 14 mm. whereas passing line to a six-year-old you probably get a shrug sure. of the shoulder yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good example of age-appropriate coaching and, and the language required for different players. And, and obviously, we've all got to adapt our approach for different levels of players. I remember a couple of years ago uh, going into a, a training camp. I was lucky enough to go home and do some coaching in New Zealand. Um, and some of the players were of real mixed ability. And that was, that was interesting coming from an academy environment where you're working with certain players at a certain level. Um, it, within these sort of uh, young age groups and then seeing players. And, and it just it was great in the coaching sense of going, okay, I've got to be really clear in my language, really clear in my purpose. And working with players who perhaps hadn't seen the sessions that I was putting on and that I was used to delivering um, because they were in a different program and, and you know they, they were operating in their own way. So I think that was a really interesting experience just in terms of rewinding and, and going not back down the spectrum in terms of opposed versus unopposed but just just dialing it down a little bit and making it appropriate for the players you're working with so i think going back to nikki's question it's really important that 
if he's got a grasp on his context and the level of players that he's working with, um, the ability of the girls he's working with, and he's seen success in the past with this particular approach, I, I couldn't sit here and say, don't do it. I would think as long as you're getting um, good outcomes in terms of we're focusing on passing, receiving, and support, great. If it's starting to look like a swarm of bees and it's very unrealistic, um, then perhaps you could consider bringing some direction or goals in. But again, without seeing the session, it's very hard to sit there and go, this is right or wrong. I think as long as you're beginning or starting with the why, which is a, a term we've sort of pinched from Simon Sinek a few times, starting with why and working backwards as to what you're trying to achieve, I think you're on the right path. Um, in, any sort of additional thoughts to this one, Dan, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think my kind of next step would be what does it look like on game day? Mm. Because if, if your practices were uh, consistently non-directional, you might see a lack of uh, shooting. You might see a lack of players running in behind and, and penetrating with a run or penetrating with a forward pass to, to, to score a goal. So the, this might be a good starting point if you want to talk about those things maybe in a couple of weeks' time or you know in a couple of sessions' time. But if you get to a Saturday or Sunday or a game day and the, the guys just keep the ball but don't go anywhere, then that might tell you what you need to know. Like, if your starting logic was, I want to build a possession-based framework and this is the way to do it to get to there, then that might make sense. But mm. if we get to game day and they play out from the goalkeeper and just keep it and keep it and keep it and keep it and never think about going in behind, yeah. then that might be some sort of link to practice design. And kind of comes back full circle to my example of a number four. If your number four is getting it and always sticking it in behind when nobody's there, then you might have to go to, to a different um, part of the, the the practice spectrum. So a really, again, another really simple question, which <laughs> you'd argue for, for two or three hours, and it comes back to the variety and volume point again, doesn't it? Like yeah. the, the kids need to see different things yeah. linked into to what they know, linked into where what, what you know the opposition they're going to play. Um, this, this, the, the, the area space if you did a non-directional practice in an area that was too big it would be too easy, it would be too unrealistic I'm not sure how, how well it would transfer mm. I have done non-directional practices that are really tight to, to encourage yeah. the boys to play with one or two touches at times I wouldn't do it every week I wouldn't do it 20 times a season but mm. if we've had a couple of games where people are in, taking maybe too many touches and getting caught in possession a really simple way of creating that need and creating that kind of problem for them and exaggerating that problem is to make it tighter than it should be by five, 10 yards. Everybody's in and it's just almost like fight ball and, and yeah. the best players find a way to play with one or two touches. So um comes back to knowing your players as well, doesn't it? What it do your does. players need and what, what are you trying to help them, help them do? So really good question. Um, hopefully we've given some kind of um, some meat to, to add on the bones there. Definitely. Well, look, just in terms of content, um, we do have uh, a masterclass discussion, which Dan and I actually filmed a uh, full presentation of how to implement constraints-led small-sided games. So obviously, we've talked about task constraints a lot in the past, and that often they come with some kind of um, sacrifice, whether it's realism, relevance, or repetition, and, and that sometimes there's a trade-off for one to the other. Um, the session plan library has got a number of non-directional um, positional passing practices where what, there's one in there called Pop City, which is really good, which uh, a colleague of mine came up with uh, one of the clubs I used to work with, a really nice tight spaces session similar to what you're alluding to. 
to, but there's almost a hundred different plans in there of positional games, uh, directional practices, small-sided games, and so on. So highly recommend Nikki jumps in there and checks those out. Um, and of course, plenty of content. If you search um, session plans and so on on the site, you'll see a lot of written content around session design as well. So really interesting question. No right or wrong answer, but um, some, some good thoughts there. Dan, thank you again for your time. No, it's been a good one. Thank you. Excellent. We hope we've helped uh, Nicky with his uh, challenge there, and we will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.